After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Josh, as we get into this week's edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast, I have one important question that I'm sure a lot of people are hoping that I will ask you and that we can answer and provide some clarity on, because I don't know it off the top of my head. Nobody knows the rule book better than you do, except for maybe for NHL officials, of course, but... What is the specific penalty for slapping someone in the face? <laughs> I think uh, I think we'd go for roughing for that one. We can't we can't categorize it under fighting, and it was certainly some unsportsmanlike conduct. But yeah, yeah, definitely deserving of a penalty. Uh, and and it, I guess it would be an unsuspecting victim as well. So a lot of things come into play here, but uh, that that deserved a call for sure. Would that fall under our favorite term in the rule book? That is menacing. It definitely was menacing. Oh, and we did have an aggressor here. So yeah. there was an altercation. Hmm, this is uh, this is a tough one. I, either way, I think uh, we're sending a guy to the box. No question. And, and maybe a call from player safety. No doubt about it. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. We ask you to please follow us on our social channels. For Josh, of course, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on, again, Twitter and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode... I know it's in there. I don't need all these teeth. Another debut. Punch in the head equals $5,000. And man, that was really fast. Let's first acknowledge the referee debut for Justin Kia this past week. He made a quick rise through the ranks and has now debuted in the National Hockey League. A new ref. He's been in the ECHL, the AHL, refed in the AHL last season, and Good for him now wearing the stripes in the National Hockey League. Yeah, another fun story of a guy who was hoping to make it to the league as a player, does it as an official. Again, this is where we go back to, and we've talked about it in the past, we have the NHL actively looking at guys who've played the game at a high level, and they're looking to recruit those former ECHL, AHL players and see some of them can make the jump to officiating, some maybe not so much, but that's the whole point of the NHL's officiating combine that they hold in the summer to try to recruit, try to pull those guys in. And some guys really take it by the horns. They really find their fit as officials, and it goes quick as it did for Kia. Here, you're spending a few years in stripes and then making it up to the NHL. But it's it's what the NHL has tried to do to increase that officiating pool. And uh, congratulations to him for uh, for showing that he has what it takes to make it to the NHL. I haven't seen it yet because the officials come out a couple of minutes or at least a minute before the players do at the start of the game. And they don't have the same kind of warm up that the players do. But do the other stripes working that night let them do the solo skate around the ice? They absolutely do. And you have to look close, even if you're at the game, because it's typically with the lights down. But they'll let him go out there, and he'll do that one lap by himself before the rest of the crew joins him on the ice. So it is something that they get to do at the officiating level as well. Love that. Love that. That's terrific. Okay. There was supposed to be a debut this past week that... Uh, due to scheduling conflicts, is usually the phrase used, was cancelled. But there was supposed to be, are you ready for this, an Ask Me Anything forum 
with National Hockey League referee Wes McCauley. And I mean, stop everything and log in and pay attention to this. But somehow it was canceled almost as quickly as it was scheduled. I find that a little curious myself. Uh, I had that circled as soon as I heard about it. I'd circled it on the calendar. I blocked out my schedule so that I could be there because certainly it, it's really cool. It would be really progressive of the NHL and the officials to to go out there and, and let fans ask literally anything. And, and certainly you don't have to respond to anything, but you'll get asked and they would have asked anything. So it would have been a, a sight to behold and something to see and something that would be a, a can't miss for your Thursday afternoon. But now it's a can't happen and I, I i'm not too surprised by that todd no it uh, i'm i was surprised when i found out about it and i was immediately taken to the thought of okay so how are they going to filter the questions because i i absolutely believe there is no way that the league is going to throw the doors open let everyone charge through and say sure go ahead ask our nhl official Anything that you want to ask. I, they are very public relations media conscious. And then my thought went to, okay, well, someone scheduled this. And then someone a little higher up the food chain said, we're doing what? <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I think it, it would have been a really cool opportunity, but it's uh, it's a little unpredictable. And it, it that's the joy of the AMA. I mean, you could envision it and say, this will be fun. People can ask Macaulay, is a hot dog a sandwich or things like that? <laughs> That's not at all what our hockey wants to ask. That's not nope. nearly the line of questioning that would be coming down. So I, while I think it would be great, and I, you know, I'd love to, I'll volunteer. You want a moderated AMA? We'll jump on yeah. board. We can, we can help that out. We can filter the questions. There's still a lot of value there. There's just a lot of noise, too. So hopefully they can figure it out. I think it would go a long way towards making people understand some of the situations if Wes could talk. Again, not about specific game calls necessarily, but just to pull the curtain back, put some explanations, mm -hmm. some generic or general terms and discussions about how the referees approach things, what, what life is like, how they manage things during the game. Not exactly a specific situation, which we absolutely know that's that's what Leaf fans would be piling on there to get questions to. That's what, what teams would be oh, looking at on a specific call. But, man, it, it would be great. I hope they can figure out some way to do this and, and make it happen. I'm just sorry that I missed the meeting where this was brought up and said <laughs> this is what's happening and, and, the, and the reaction after. But uh, officials aren't interviewed by the media after games. So why, why would you throw, the, throw this up? Anyhow, it's, it, it's a curious thing. But, again, hopefully this is – our, our goal is to provide information and education to understand the process. And absolutely, as Josh said, 100%, we would be open to such a thing if, if an NHL official, a current NHL official, were made available to us. So when one of the things we may want to ask about is how someone gets so many penalties called so quickly on them. And the congratulations go to Evander Kane, who set a new National Hockey League high mark for offenses punishable by two minutes in the box in the recent game for the Edmonton Oilers. Oh, it was so impressive. I, I remember guys taking penalties when they come out of the penalty box, right? You, you, you get that. Sometimes you're sitting there, you're frustrated, you want to go after a guy. Sometimes you're you're tired and you, you get caught flat-footed as you step out of the box and you hook a guy. And we've definitely seen those situations where the guy goes to the box. He comes out, he takes a penalty. For Kane, that happened again and again and again. He spent 10 minutes 
either <laughs> on the ice or in the penalty box. Straight minutes. He'd come out and take another penalty and go right back in. And uh, referees Peter McDougal, Mark Jonette, on top of it, and basically probably just watching him when he left the box at that point for how long he spent without ever returning back to his bench. So it, it was impressive. I wouldn't suggest anyone try to top that one, but it, it was an impressive accomplishment for Evander Kane. This is not a course of action you want to emulate. And I'm just imagining Evander Kane. Like, There's nine other skaters, guys. What are you focused on me for? I can't be the only one out here doing this. And you know the coach is just glaring from across the rink that you know every time you want to go back to the bench, he's getting ready to yell at you for taking that penalty. And, whoop, you took another one. Back to the box. <laughs> Maybe that was it. He was avoiding the initial call and kept taking more of them. If I'm going to get it, I may as well get it really good. Right. And that's, but <laughs> that was a that was a very strange situation with Evander Kane. So um, we always talk about how tough hockey players are. They suffer all kinds of bumps, bruises. They lose teeth occasionally, and they just kind of get up, dust themselves off, and keep going. Well, some love for the stripes in this regard as well, because during a New York Islanders Boston Bruins game. Last week, Eric Furlat took a helmet to the mouth from Islander defenseman Andy Green. As Green carried the puck in towards the corner, there was no place for Eric Furlat to go, and he tried to get out of the way but couldn't. First, it looked like, and it was suggested maybe he chipped a tooth, but then there was another video angle that appears to show the ref tossing aside those chiclets. I don't need these anymore. What are you going to do? And how difficult and uncomfortable months that have been for Eric Furlat to blow the whistle for the rest of the game? Oh, I, I can't imagine. You know, it's it's painful. Either way, he kept checking for blood, and it was hard to see. I didn't see any shots that actually showed teeth missing, but he he flicked something into the corner. And you know, again, as an official, you you're kind of sensitive to objects on the ice, and I, I don't see him wanting to throw debris down there that could potentially cause an issue later. But who knows? Didn't get the specifics on what the actual injury was, but it was enough that he could handle to stay in the game. And, and not only, Todd, could he blow the whistle, he was doing it minutes later, had to call a penalty. So, yeah, he was yeah. he was still actively officiating the game, and good for him, but ah. It's it's uncomfortable, and it's with the cold and everything else, and then blowing the whistle. It's not a comfortable moment for him. No. But, uh, way for him to tough it out. Good for Eric Furlat. Okay, we had a very funky video review this past week as well in a game of the Florida Panthers and the Ottawa Senators. Florida forward Patrick Hornquist shuffled the puck toward the Ottawa goal. Anton Forsberg attempted to gather up the puck and eventually doing so by placing his glove hand behind his back to gain possession. Hornquist was adamant that the puck was in the net and it was a goal, and the officials took their time, got a lot of help from the Situation Room in Toronto. There was a very lengthy video review, not record-setting like the one we talked about last week, but they did determine that the puck was over the goal line and thus counted as a Florida goal. There was a photo released later that showed the puck in the webbing of Forsberg's glove, and you could determine that the puck was across the line. This is an unusual one, Josh, but we have seen this happen once or twice before. We have, and thankfully for this one, it, it looked pretty clear-cut. That one camera angle, you could see the puck in the glove, which appeared to be over the line, and of course none of the cameras line up directly, so you're always dealing with angles and perspective. But between that overhead that they released and then the front angle to show the goalie's position and where his glove was relative to his body. I think everyone can conclusively say we saw the puck in the glove, we saw the glove over the line. Probably 
one of the more straightforward ones. And and they took their time with it and they found the right angle. So that was what was important. But man, we, we were fortunate that you could clearly see the puck because we've had plenty of times where you can't or where it's covered or the glove has black mesh where the webbing is and you can't quite tell if that's the puck or if that's the the glove itself. This one was was more clear cut. But man, it's frustrating when you've got those situations and you can't determine whether or not the puck crossed the line. Something so simple, Todd. Well, it, it is simple, and you wonder maybe there's there's rules that could be put in place, like all goalies must use white gloves to differentiate between that and the black puck, or white pads and the black puck, um, some sort of clear or less restrictive to the view of the cameras in the webbing, or maybe there was some sort of technological futuristic gadget that could tell us exactly where the puck was on the ice, maybe. You mean like a microchip in the puck? Yeah. The one they it. already have? <laughs> <laughs> the one okay. they've already put in for player and puck tracking that has been more focused on the player tracking than the puck? I mean, I, I see it. I see the games on TNT where I've got a, a puck speedometer over the goal when a slap shot's taken. So I know it's there. I know it's working. Why don't we use it for this purpose? Why don't we use it for good of the game on the ice? You want to get rid of reviews and replays? Track the damn puck. <laughs> Maybe that could be a question in the Ask Me Anything yes. sort of segment. <laughs> we do. Okay. <laughs> there were a couple of fines doled out by player safety this week, one of them involving Taylor Hall of the Boston Bruins, who got crunched by Maple Leafs defenseman Igor Labushkin. Hall didn't respond well to the hit. He rose from the ice and kind of reached up to grab Labushkin, kind of punched him in the side of the head. Labushkin left the game, didn't return. Hall got a $5,000 fine for the punch. I, I don't think it was anything more than that in terms of suspension, but yeah, I think the, the fine was definitely warranted here. It was. I, I think... It's probably appropriate. I, I have a hard time looking at this as a one-gamer. I mean, it was it was reactionary. He punched him in the side of the head. We look at some other plays where we had uh, Dylan Larkin with a, a sucker punch like that or some retaliation where we saw Austin Matthews with a cross check to the neck. Both of those a little more violent, a little more yeah. potential for injury. So I'm okay with it. And I know it was a dangerous hit in the first place, and Hall obviously took exception to that. But you have to address it one way. I, I feel like one game would just be too much. So a $5,000 fine is as, as much as we can go without going to a game. You know, we, can, we can't give him half a game and make him sit for the first period and a half. So uh, this is this is Maybe basically we should. All, all that's at player safety's disposal. So I think a, a well-warranted one and certainly the type of thing you don't want to see in the game. So nice of them to at least acknowledge that with the, the fine. But, uh, you know, a, a a tough hit in the first place, too, which I, I wouldn't be surprised if that resulted. I know it's insult after injury here, but resulted in a call there just for a warning to say, hey, you got to watch those hits because that also wouldn't in this case result in supplemental discipline, but it could have. You're getting close. I'll give you that. But you know what? I'm I'm kind of going with your idea there is versus, you know, a full game. But maybe you have a benching. Maybe you miss a period. Maybe you got to sit on the bench for a period or two. Well, that's, you know, it's fun about that one. It, it takes the slot from the player too, because you can't dress right. somebody in his place. So, you know what, uh, Taylor Hall, it's, it's almost, it's almost like a, an after the game penalty. And then it, do you assess it the next game or do you assess it at the next Bruins Leafs game and say, okay, you're, uh, you're going to miss the first period of the next time we have this matchup. It's creative, if nothing else. Hmm. The other fine was doled out to Nashville rookie Tanner Janot. 
His maximum was $2,000 for his actions toward Ottawa forward Brady Kachuk. These two, well, they didn't seem to like each other much. There was a pretty good collision, and he was penalized in the play for tripping. I might have given him more than just that two-minute penalty, but he's paying the fine. But and, and again, this is getting close to the line of where a little more discipline could have been coming. Yeah, and this, again, we look, we look at dangerous plays or things that might cause an injury there. You're sticking your leg out like that trip, and they called it a knee. I, I saw it more as skate-on-skate, ankle-on-ankle. Still something that between sending a guy into the boards or just the collision, something like that, that could cause an injury there. So I'm, I'm glad they took action on it. Again, it's one of those situations where you don't want to see it in the game. You you want guys not to do it. You want it to be called as a penalty and, and penalized, but it doesn't rise to the level of, of one game suspension. So I think that's where the 2000 was the max they can go for Janot. Remember, it's I know people want larger fines. It is based on a percentage of your salary. So rookies, guys on entry level deals, this is what you're looking at from a maximum standpoint. We also had one other milestone this past week for the first time ever officiating came up as a topic of discussion at the NHL Board of Governors meetings in Florida. <laughs> officiating. Um, uh, everything's great with the officiating. <laughs> now, officiating and discussions at the Board of Governors meetings is something that we've talked about on the podcast in terms of referees review and one of the topics that they brought up for a discussion, it hasn't gone anywhere yet, but was the review of a five-minute major penalty. The call can currently be reduced to a minor, but cannot be totally rescinded so that there is no penalty. And I've, I've asked about this before, we've talked about it before, but it, this might be something that gets a bit of a look now. It's a long way to go, it's got to go through the competition committee and the board of governors vote on it, but I like the idea. It's it, it's not a criticism of anyone. You've made the call, and under further review, you find, okay, you know what? This is wrong. It's a mistake. Instead of pulling someone out of the box for five or for two minutes, it's for five minutes. It does happen. It it absolutely does. And there are situations where you look at it, and it, it looks worse live. You don't get that second angle. You call what you see, but depending on your perspective, depending on where you're positioned, you might not get the full story on what happened on that play. So. It was good, I thought, when they implemented the ability to review a major or match penalty and reduce it to a minor. I don't think it's that dramatic to allow them to wipe it out. And we don't get that many major penalties. Once we rule fighting out here, you know, how many major and matches do we get that, that necessitate a review in the first place? And of those, I would say the vast majority get upheld. Some might get reduced to a minor. I would say there's very few that they would wipe out completely. But why not give them that option? You know, if you're looking at it and you go, holy cow, we blew this one. Hey, best I can do is uh, give you a minor. I feel like I'm on well, pawn, right. pawn stars here. Can, I, <laughs> can you wipe it out? No, best I can do is two minutes. Sorry. but And, and that's the Elliot Friedman in his uh, weekly 32 Thoughts blog mentioned that that's the concern is more reviews, longer reviews, and thus increased game times. And that's something that the league wants no part of. I get that. But as you mentioned, this is happened so infrequently. I don't think it would be a big deal at all. And always the, the common denominator is, let's get the call right. This would help us get the call right. And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, it, it absolutely would. And, and th like you said, they're infrequent. And it potentially is a huge situation. You're putting a team on a, a five-minute power play where they can score as many times as they want. You're potentially seeing a player tossed from the game, depending on what happened in this situation. So I, I think given the severity of those penalties... 
I'm glad they have the option to review it, and I think there will be very few times that they would wipe it out. But I, I think it makes sense. I think giving them that option is uh, is a logical part of the review. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. I'll just say San Jose Vegas playoffs a couple of years ago and leave it at that. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, some fun to wrap up. In The Athletic this past week, I, I enjoy The Athletic. I subscribe. I'm not getting this as a freebie. It's not a promotional consideration at all. But they always do really interesting pieces, and they've done kind of a fun one as well with Ian Mendez, Sean McIndoe, and Sean Gentili have done a thing once again called Rules Court, where they kicked around a few suggested rule changes some have been heard previously, others not so much, and I, I think some of them definitely have some merit, and I wanted to kick them around a little bit with you, Josh. And I, I like the suggestion, not so much a rule, but only one coach allowed on the bench. No assistants, no, no, no specialists, no nothing. It's just you get one coach on the bench. and. Nope. I think that would be helpful. That's that's a fun one. Do they do they get to talk to the off-ice coaches, or are they purely sequestered to just the bench area? Do they get the earpiece? I'm open to, to a little bit of both, but if it's just clearing up some of the clutter on the benches, I mean, it looks like uh, a team photos back there sometimes. <laughs> There's so many people around. Well, you got one guy, I'd, be, I'd be okay with that. One guy's drawing pictures on the whiteboard. The other guy's pointing around here. It's, it's fun. Yeah. There's a lot of activity, but that, that's a good one. Uh, teams killing penalties cannot ice the puck without repercussions. I think it's great. It eliminates the tactic of just grabbing the puck and firing it down to the end of the ice and not having the faceoff come back in your own end and having to stay on the ice. I think it's a good one. I agree. Just because you're penalized for doing something bad, you shouldn't be allowed to do something that you wouldn't have been able to do had you not been penalized for doing something bad. It makes no sense. The other one that I found interesting was the puck over glass penalty, which is an automatic two-minute delay of game. Their suggestion was each team gets a mulligan in that the first one is treated as an icing, but each subsequent event is penalized. I can get on side with that. All right, that's that's a good compromise. And I think coaches will ruin it. And I know they said that in the article, right? Every Always. rule change, you have coaches that will ruin it. And there might be a team that says, you know what? We got our freebie. I'm going to shoot the puck over the glass. That's fine. Next True. time it happens, you know you're getting the penalty. So do you really want to burn that? Maybe you do. Maybe you chance it. But I, I think it changes the strategy, and, and I'm okay with that. Here's another radical one that is kind of intriguing to me. During a two-minute minor penalty, any goal ends the penalty. So a power play goal, yes, as always. But if a team scores a shorthanded goal, that also wipes out the rest of the penalty. So we've got a power play kill. That's that is yeah. an interesting one. I, I think that's fun. Um, I don't I don't know that I, I love the idea of saying, hey, we can take a penalty. And if we score a goal, we can spring our guy out of the box. It, it seems like you can uh, you can take advantage of that. But you have to be good enough. Right. And then there's the risk of of trying to be too aggressive. So. Hmm. I, I, I like that it makes the penalty killers not uh, not just sit back. And I think if you put this one. With the no icing free card there, oh, now, yeah. now you can't ice the puck. Now you have motivation for scoring that shorthanded goal. I, I think those two together might actually make some changes into the way teams kill penalties. Okay, that's that's pretty good too. One more to wrap this one up. Instead of the shootout, because there are still shootout haters for some reason, make it a two-on-one competition versus simply a penalty shot. So it's two players going in on one defenseman and the goaltender versus a penalty shot. All right, so it's, it's, it's defended. So we've got a little bit more of hockey here because there's 
defense taking place. It's not yeah. purely a breakaway challenge. So I, I can see where this one would come in. But to me, Todd, the best answer is to just make overtime longer. I, I like three-on-three. Three. I know it's not five-on-five. Five. I know, it's a, again, it's a, a variation of a skills competition. But three-on-three three can happen in a game, as rare as it is. Let's just make three-on-three three longer. Let's keep it going. Okay, you if you make it a couple minutes longer, I'm okay. But you can't play overtime indefinitely during the regular season. If it's five minutes, if it's seven minutes, ten minutes, whatever. But I think, <laughs> I think the way to solve this once and for all is, look, here's what we're doing. It's going to be three-on-three. Three. It's going to be overtime. But here's the end. We are never revisiting this rule again. <laughs> right. And if there's no decision, then we go to a shootout. That might be the only thing that stops the discussion. I, I'm with you there. We we need an end. I, I, I grew up watching games end in ties, and it was fine. But now that you know you've got a winner, you've got something to play for at the end, I think I think we can't give that up. So I'm, I'm with you. We can extend overtime, whatever we want. But you can't. You can't let it end in a tie again. But you know what would happen if we did that? What's that? Coaches would ruin it. <laughs> 